Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Baseball America's College Podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk college baseball. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. We've got Mike Lanana here on Selection Monday, this this Memorial Day. We finally have officially the NCAA tournament field has been announced. Uh, they did that at noon today on ESPNU. Uh, you can go over to BaseballAmerica.com to see the field in its full, but Mike and I are going to take some time to break it down today and Mike just how excited are you that there's a field now and we aren't talking about projections or hypotheticals anymore I am very excited my dms oh my goodness on twitter (laughs) I can't tell you how many questions I have about hey is this team gonna get in is this team gonna get in I know you and me both got texts from head coaches around the country asking us if we knew any more than they did it's been just non-stop over this last week it's it's glad i'm glad though that we finally have a field that we can finally just focus on what matters and that's the baseball we can just watch the games we don't have to talk about rpi and and all that anymore we can just see what's happening on the field although we are going to talk about rpi a little bit we we will we're not we're not quite done with it yet i mean i love the interest that everyone has in their teams whether they're going to get in whether they're going to host whether they're a two or a three or whatever yeah um it's it's cool uh but at the same time uh it like mike like, like you said i mean to to be able to focus on the actual baseball and not on uh, the construction of the field is uh, that's a huge benefit of this time of year of, of this month where, you know, everything that plays out on the field is it's very straightforward. You win and you advance, not you win and you see how far, how, how far up that jumped you in the RPI or you win and you hope somebody else lost so that you can pass them in the, in the conference standings where we're at the point where everyone, all 64 of these teams control their own destiny completely. Yeah, and you mentioned the overall interest that people have, and and just to to add more to that, I mean, today during the selection show, saw on Twitter a lot of college baseball terms, hashtags were trending in the United States, a lot of people excited about it today on Memorial Day. Ray Tanner even said, the head of the, the chair of the selection committee, even said during his conference call that he noticed those trends on Twitter, had heard from a social media guy, I didn't even know he was active on Twitter. Oh, he's on Twitter. I I see that now. But, yeah, no, he was excited about that. And it does say a lot about the state of the college baseball game in general that you do have that interest. And also the strength of the game and the fact that it was so hard just to narrow this field down to just 64 teams. That definitely speaks to the parity in the game right now. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the job Ray Tanner as the baseball committee chairman and the the committee did. Um, Mike, when we put together our final projected field yesterday, there was not a whole lot of debate, or the, the debate was pretty focused. The bubble this year was pretty small. Uh, I guess that's partially a result of few conference tournaments ending in true upsets. Mm -hmm. Uh, You had the Ohio Valley where Moorhead State beat Tennessee Tech and um, that, you know, create or or that cost somebody a bid because Moorhead State was not getting in without that auto bid. Um, And I guess UNCW uh, beating uh, Northeastern Mm -hmm. in the Colonial ultimately created, cost somebody else a bid uh, because as we saw, Northeastern was one of the very last teams in, and that was actually so we, we went sixty three for sixty four ultimately, and what we got wrong humble brag was we had yes we had uh, shout out Joe Lenardi for retweeting that um, <laughs> another humble brag <laughs> not even humble that was just a brag I, that, that was just a brag yeah, yeah. Was just straight up brag at this point but what we got wrong was Northeastern we had out we yes. had Kentucky in 
And um, I don't know that we spent enough time truly discussing Kentucky's case last night. I just was pretty convinced Kentucky was going to get in because that was kind of the vibe I was getting. But we should have known something. And I kind of did maybe suspect this a little bit last night when the host sites came out and North Carolina State got a host. Um, they had they hosted over the likes of UConn or Auburn, which finished ahead of them in RPI, but did not have as good of a regular season. And ultimately, that was telling. That was really, it sounds like, part of the committee's guiding principle throughout creating this field was how you did in the regular season. Yeah, and I, I wrote about this a little bit more in depth over at BaseballAmerica.com just sort of analyzing the field and, and what Ray Tanner said in his conference call, but definitely conference record and regular season performance really loom large this year in the decision-making. We did see that in the hosting decisions, as you said, with NC State versus UConn. With that in particular, Ray Tanner pointed to the fact that NC State, even though the Wolfpack had a lower RPI, number 19, compared to number 16 for UConn, if you look at what they did over the course of the regular season, they lost just two weekend series the entire year. Those came against national seeds, the number six overall seed UNC, a sweep in Raleigh, and then also to Florida State, a number seven national seed, and that came in the final weekend of the year and with two walk-off wins in that series, a very tightly contested series there between those two teams. So because of that body of work, NC State hosts – UConn is on the outside. I know uh, a lot of UConn fans. Out, first of all, I didn't realize how big of a community UConn baseball Twitter is, but a lot of UConn fans were, I know, tweeting at me last night asking, hey, what's well, you're, the deal? Well, you're integral to the, to the I, UConn baseball I, Twitter community. I, I suppose so. <laughs> I did pick. I did pick. And, and while we're here humble bragging and slash just regular just outright bragging, bragging, just yeah. outright bragging, I did pick UConn as my Omaha sleeper before this year. So, hey, I saw this coming. But anyway, the Huskies had a very good case. There's no question. It was interesting to me, though. Ray Tanner asked on the conference call straight up, if UConn wins the American Tournament Championship against ECU, which they lost that game 4-3, to if they win that game, do they host over NC State? And Ray Tanner said, hey, not necessarily. So that's how strongly... They believed in conference record. The committee focused on that, and they hammered the point over and over again. They don't like sub-500 teams. They only have one in this entire field, and that was the big reason why Kentucky, despite all their metrics, despite the talent on the team, despite having a number 30 RPI, didn't make this field a 64. Yeah, and I definitely get that, and you know, to be 13 and 17 or 13 and 18 versus SEC competition, if you include the tournament, um, I get it, you know, and, and there are a lot of people out there that just see that record and it's glaring. It really is. And, and it's a significant flaw in Kentucky's resume, but it is literally the only flaw. Yeah. And, you know, the SEC this year was definitely the best league in the country. There's, there's no question about that. And, I know that the talking point from SEC coaches is that they shouldn't be penalized because they play in the toughest league. And I understand that argument, and I frankly sympathize with that argument. But I think when it comes down to it, Kentucky would have been the 11th SEC team in the field. That would have set a record. And I think to be that 11th team, to for that to happen – something really has to stand out about about the resume. And Kentucky has a lot of nice things on the resume. All of their metrics are better than any of the other bubble teams, except for the conference record. But none of them are truly exceptional, I don't think. Like, okay, they have 16 top 50 wins, yes, but they went 16 and 16 against top 50 opponents. And they have 22 top 100 wins, which is good, but... You know, I mean, Mississippi State is sitting at the those same things just slightly ahead of Kentucky, but they bothered to go 500 in the league. Right. You know, so Kentucky's under 500 on the road. Um, you know, that they have that series win against Texas Tech 
which is really nice, but it was at home and they got swept a few times. I don't know. It's, it's a deserving resume in a lot of ways, but to be that 11th team, to overcome that huge flaw in your resume, I, you got to have something more to me, I think, than, than essentially just a well-rounded resume, except for this one huge ward. Yeah, I mean, it's I see both sides of the argument. There's no question. It's not an easy decision. I, I know when we were talking about it last night and really the, these last couple of weeks with Kentucky, I haven't felt great having them in. I also haven't felt great leaving them out. You know, the one thing... I think that's the definition of a bubble team. Yeah. Like, they are dead on the bubble. Yeah, and, you know, the, the one thing that I will say about this committee, whether you agree with this decision or not, is I think they're pretty consistent this year in terms of saying, hey, this is what we want to focus on. We want to focus on what you did during the regular season. We want to focus on your conference record and how you finished. That was another big thing for the committee as well. You know, that was a reason why Florida State gets that national seed over a team like Clemson. You look at the way FSU finished. They won the ACC tournament, went on a great run there, beating some very good teams in the tournament, including Clemson head-to-head and NC State. And that was a reason why they're the number seven national seed because of how they finished. And so you look at Kentucky in particular, they had an opportunity to improve their resume going into the SEC tournament. Ray Tanner said, we try not to hold tournaments against teams, but we try to use them to help teams where we can. And the Wildcats could have helped themselves if they had won that first game that they played against Auburn. It was an elimination game. They lost that game. And then all of a sudden that below 500 record, four games below 500, becomes below five in theory. And for the committee, that was just that was just too much. It was a it was a bridge too far for Kentucky losing that extra game. And it is interesting though comparing Kentucky and Northeastern head to head. You know, like you said, the metrics heavily heavily benefit Kentucky in this discussion. But Northeastern is a team that won the the CAA outright, 17 to six in the conference, took care of business, played a tough schedule, especially for a team in that conference. And even though that conference is number 13 in the RPI overall as a group. I mean, it's hard to fault the Huskies for doing what they needed to do and taking care of business. Yeah, and the the thing about Northeastern getting in and Troy getting in and FAU getting in and DBU getting in, I think um, three of those teams were officially in the committee's last four in. I believe FAU played themselves above that because they had the slightly better RPI of that group. But what that group all has in common is that they won at least 36 games overall. They all finished either first or second. I guess technically FAU finished third because there's a tie in the standings. So silly. <laughs> um, but they're, they're right there at the top of their conference standings, and they put together top 40 RPIs. And I think if you're a mid-major team and you do all of that, the committee needs to reward those teams because otherwise, what are those teams, what are those leagues even doing? Right. You know, the Sun Belt, Conference USA, Missouri Valley, uh, Colonial to, to a slightly lesser extent, but especially CUSA and, and the Sun Belt and Missouri Valley at the, at the high end. I guess the same is true of Missouri Valley and CAA at the high end. These teams are investing in baseball. And if we're serious, we, meaning the, I guess, greater college baseball community, if the greater college baseball community. I think we're, I think we can group ourselves <laughs> in, in that community. I, I think, you know, not a situation here to be humble, Teddy. You could, you could <laughs> drop a we. I think it's okay to drop a we there. All right. So if we are serious about trying to, to grow the game the way people talk about, there has to be an avenue for those teams to get in. Right. And if you go out and you do all of that, you need to be rewarded for it. And does that mean that the 11th place team in the SEC that has better metrics needs to be excluded from the tournament? Well, I guess in this case it did. Um, And, you know, maybe that's unfortunate, but I, I just find it hard. Like, I don't really know what more some of these teams could have done. And you could say, well, Northeastern could have beaten Auburn or they, they could have beaten Texas Tech two, you know, prominent non-conference series that they played and lost. But, you know, I mean, in reality here, they went out, they played the games and won the games they needed to, to, to get these RPIs, to, 
you know, to show that they were among the best teams in their league and they challenged themselves. And I think that teams like that need to be rewarded. And, and that's what happened today. Right. And, and the thing about it, too, is it's not like this committee committee wasn't aware of the fact that the SEC is a much tougher conference. They already rewarded the SEC with 10 bids more than any other conference tied for the record for most bids for any conference. So it's, it's not like, you know, it, it was, the, it, you know, that you could see that they clearly viewed that disparity there. They clearly saw it. They recognized it. I think more than anything, this is just representative of the increased parity in the game. The fact that there are more teams than, than ever that have legitimate tournament cases. It's why that there's so much controversy last night when the, the hosting sites were announced, so much heat and attention on Twitter because, I mean, yeah, UConn had a hosting resume. You could There are a lot of things you can point to on that UConn team for reasons why they should host, but so did NC State. So did a lot of these other teams as well. You had 18, 19 teams that were in that conversation. Any number of them could have rounded out that, that group of 16 there. It's just the parity in the game at this point makes it a little bit harder to narrow it down, and that's a good problem to have. It's good that we have fans in this game that are upset right now. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, every year we have these teams on the bubble. This year it's Kentucky. I guess if, um, you know, they weren't necessarily the last team out, I think we're all focusing on them because uh, most people have them projected in because they're the SEC team. But, you know, Central Florida, Arizona, and Illinois were all really close on the bubble as well. And, you know, Arizona finishes under 500 as well, has a worse RPI. Yeah. Um, Central Florida only goes 13 and 12 against American opponents, uh, has an RPI of over 40. Illinois has the worst RPI of the group that we're talking about. They'll point to the fact that they finished fourth in the Big Ten. I'll counter that by pointing out that they lost all of the series to the Big Ten's, um, you know, top end teams. And the unbalanced schedule is part of the reason why they finished fourth. Um, but all of these teams have have realistic cases that they're all close. And, you know, if, if things go a little bit differently, just one or two games here and there. Or, you know, if um, if Tennessee Tech doesn't lose to, to Moorhead State, one of these teams is getting in. And, you know, I mean, it, it, the margins on the bubble are thin. And I mean, the reality, I guess, the, the truest thing about any of these teams is that you're on the bubble for a reason. And that's a little harsh, but no one no one but the the teams themselves put themselves there and i mean ray tanner even said on the espn broadcast he said hey i've been one of those teams before i've been the head coach of one of these teams before that's been left out i mean it's just the reality of the game that that we play i mean everyone we only have 64 spots yeah you know, and and 31 of those are guaranteed to to go to your conference champion and everyone has the ability to go win win one of those auto bids and and make sure that they're fate isn't left to, to the committee. Um, you know, so it's tough. Um, and, but that's, that's part of the reality of selection Monday. I think Mike, that, that was the, the main pieces of what the committee did that we wanted to touch on. Yeah. Frankly, that's not maybe the most interesting aspect at this point. Let, let's talk about what we have ahead of us. Can now. we actually talk about the baseball? Yeah, let's let's talk about the baseball. What? We can talk about the games that I are think, gonna happen I, and not just who's... I think maybe we can do that. Okay. Alright, I like that. So the the way this all sets up, um, you know, we have some interesting regionals. So what we want to hit on we want to, to, to touch on uh, what we think are some of the most competitive regionals. What what this weekend if you're you know messing around on uh, whatever viewing device you have do people watch tv anymore mike i everyone's streaming things yeah it's, it's all on your all, iPad. it's all streams and clouds and yeah. just uh, watches and so gizmos like and gadgets. people don't have clickers anymore right no no i mean i still have my pager on me <laughs> you know everyone you never know when you're gonna get paged but yeah no i, I you know people will find ways to watch I think. so when you're flipping through your ipad i guess um yeah. your, your your tablet looking for the game to watch like which regions should should team should people be focusing on and um you know for me one of the ones that stands out is austin yeah. um texas hosting for the first time in like six or seven years matthew mcconaughey was uh with the longhorns today when they uh they were watching the selection show so 
Uh, that's cool, I guess. All right, all right, all right. Indeed. Um, you did a good one there. Um, Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I've been on point with the impressions today. Earlier, I predicted the first few words that Mike Martin was going to say. Yeah, not only did we almost <laughs> nail the field. Mike, uh, when, when 11 gets – they're getting ready on the ESPNU selection show broadcast to interview Mike Martin – uh, Mike, uh, Mike definitely nailed the first few words out of out of Eleven's mouth. Well, <laughs> I think, and that was about it. That was that was fantastic. Though. That was about it, and he said it exactly like that. He too. did. Wait, thanks for joining us, Mike Martin. Thanks for coming here today. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, he's a North Carolina native, so it's uh, that, coming true. coming back home for him. I guess staying home. He was just here. Yeah. Yes. Um, but let's get back to that Texas regional where Texas is the 13th seed overall. They're hosting Indiana, Texas A&M, and Texas Southern. Indiana is a team that had been ranked in our top 25 much of the year. Oh, by the way, there's a new Baseball America top 25 powered by Louisville Slugger. Oh, yeah, that's another, that's another thing that we did. It gets shoved under the rug a little bit today, but uh, you can check it out. Florida's still number one. We also have like a whole like BA 500 thing that we're uh, doing. Yeah, there's, the there's a lot of draft stuff. Uh, there's a lot of content. I wrote off the bat today. You can read all about Baylor winning the Big 12 tournament. Uh, Hartford going to the NCAA tournament for the first time in program history. There's a lot going on at baseballamerica.com, so you know, just just check that out. But again, back to the Austin Regional. Texas, Indiana, A&M, Texas Southern. Indiana, a team, had been the Big Ten favorite in the top 25 most of the season, uh, fell out near the end, but still a dangerous team. And Texas A&M started the year at number 10, uh, only won three of their 10 SEC series, and frankly, this would have been a much bigger flashpoint on Selection Monday had Kentucky not conveniently taken all of the heat for the SEC. But A&M only won three SEC series. Then they went on a run in Hoover um, and got – they shored up their, their tournament resume. And, and they're a team that – I mean, we both really liked in the preseason. It's a, a very talented team. And they're yeah. playing well right now. I mean, they, they showed well in Hoover. And for a time, I thought they were going to win the SEC tournament down there. So, Mike, what, what do you make of, of this Austin Regional? How do you see it shaking out? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's – I think you hit the nail on the head as far as it being one of the more competitive ones in the field. I wouldn't be surprised to see Texas A&M come out of this with the way they're playing. You, you talked about what they did in the SEC tournament. They have the arms. They have a lot of experience on that team. It was a team that made it to Omaha a year ago, played in that Super Regional against the Cinderella Davidson Wildcats. I was there in College Station last year and saw the way they handled that. You know, I, I like this Aggies team. I mean, I guess the, the thing with them heading into this regional, the thing you have to look at is they haven't performed quite as well away from Bluebell Park in College Station, 7-10 and 10 on the road at this point, but... I mean, obviously, they're not going too far from home over there in Austin. And I, I think, obviously, Indiana is a team that we really liked for this year as well, a team that was highly ranked for us. I think between those three teams, it's going to be pretty competitive, and I wouldn't be surprised if it went the full number of games in that regional. Yeah, I think um, that first game between IU and A&M is going to be a really good game. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Stever, Indiana's ace, is going to go at it probably against Mitchell Kilkenny. Um, that's kind of an intriguing uh, prospect matchup, uh, but that should be pretty well pitched. And, um, you know, that, that whole regional is, is going to be a very interesting one. Should it happen, um, that A&M Texas game might be of interest to, to some fans in College Station in Austin. I don't know. That, that's a small rivalry, I guess. Is, is that a thing? I Is that – do they not like each other? I, I think they don't like each other. Oh, well, that adds a little – I wasn't even thinking about that. So, yeah, that'll be uh, <laughs> that'll be a little feisty down there if that if that matchup happens. But, I mean, A&M has to get past Indiana first for, for that to be a thing. So – uh, it'll, it'll be intriguing to, to watch that one. And then I think the other regional in Texas, the one happening in Lubbock, is another uh, potentially very competitive regional where you have Texas Tech as the nine seed. You got Louisville in there. Louisville nearly won the ACC tournament this week. You got Kent State, the MAC champs, and New Mexico State, the WAC champs. And you know, so Texas Tech and Louisville are going to take a lot of the – the oxygen in this matchup, you know, you've got two, two teams with a lot of Omaha aspirations there. Uh, but Kent state has some really strong pitching and New Mexico state has a legit ace in Kyle Bradish. That's yeah. going to give 
Texas Tech some problems. And he's been good down the stretch, too. And they rake. Yeah. Um, and that's a hitter-friendly ballpark. So I think that, you know, the, Texas Tech and New Mexico State are familiar with each other. They play midweeks. Um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, but that, that Louisville-Kent State matchup is going to be great. Adam Wolf against Joey Murray uh, there on Friday night. And, uh, you know, I, I could see that shaking out any number of ways. When that went up on the board, you know, I felt like – I feel like Kent State has the horses to win this. I don't know that they will, but I, I feel like they have the horses in their pitching staff to go out and win this regional. I have some recency bias because I was just at the ACC tournament and I saw Louisville play every, every game in that tournament – Cardinals are swinging a really hot bat right now. One through nine through that lineup. Josh Soares was incredible in the ACC tournament. Couple of home runs, a big triple, showing speed, power. Devin Mann hit really, really well at the plate. Didn't do quite as well in the field. Made three pretty costly errors, including a couple in that championship game against FSU. But the Cardinals, after early on kind of struggling to find their identity a little bit this year, They've seemed to have found it. Their younger hitters have found a groove. Their pitching staff is a lot healthier now than it was. We'll see if they get Sam Bordner back, their closer. They've been without him the last couple weeks. By all reports, it sounds like they will have him back in this regional. But even without him, uh, there's a lot to like on that team. And obviously, we've talked about Texas Tech all year, a, a, a team that we see, I feel like every year, we just see them just make that trip to Omaha you can kind of pencil them in as an Omaha team. It's going to be a little tougher this year. It's going to be a tougher path, as you mentioned. I mean, you have the the pitching of Kent State. You have a really highly offensive team in New Mexico State. And you have a team in Louisville that's red hot right now. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think that one is, to me, maybe just a notch above the Austin one in terms of competitiveness. I think that's fair. Um, it's close either way. Yeah, the it's going to be a lot of fun in both those places. And then I wanted to highlight one more, and that is Stanford. And this is kind of unfair for Stanford, I feel like. They're the number two national seed. We should not be talking about that as the mo- one of the most competitive regionals. But here we are. Stanford hosts Baylor, Cal State Fullerton, and Wright State. Now, Baylor, as I mentioned, won the Big 12 tournament. They have won like 20 of their last 22 games. They are scorching hot down the stretch. You can read more about Baylor and off the bat today. I think the Bears have really found something that works. Um, It's a team that that has found uh, their identity, and they have a really good bullpen. They've got enough offense. That's an intriguing team. We have talked a lot about how we think Fullerton is primed for a run. Oh, yeah. And they're very familiar with Stanford. Um, you know, they started the year at Stanford. That did not go well. The Titans are going to remember that. But also, I mean, it was just a year ago that they opened the season uh, by beating Stanford. And then they went up to the Stanford Regional a year ago and won it. So th- they are not going to be scared about going to Stanford. And then, oh, by the way, Wright State is potentially the best four, one of the best fours in the field. And they somehow get sent all the way to Stanford. That's a team with postseason experience. I don't think they're a team that is coming out of this, but that's a really tough four for being the number two overall seed. Yeah, there's no doubt. And that's obviously we're not trying to take anything away from Stanford here. Stanford is the clear favorite given how they've played all year long. The Cardinal has been excellent under Dave Esker in his first year. Really dangerous rotation. We've talked about it a lot this year with Tristan Beck there at the, at the, the front end of that weekend rotation a team that's been hitting the ball really well as well. But, yeah, you mentioned that the Titans in particular to me are, are a team that, you know, every year they, they do they do the same thing every year. They struggle in non-conference play. You think, okay, this is going to be the year they just don't make it, and then they turn things around. This year they went 18-6 and six in the Big West, and all of a sudden you look at them, they're 32-23 and 23 overall after they were well below 500 to start the year, and, you know, Stanford's going to be seeing a different Cal State Fullerton team than the team they saw to open the year, than the team they hosted. I mean, they've they've improved throughout the course of the year, and that points to yet another very good coaching job by Rick Vanderhook. They're always going to be dangerous on the mound. That's what Cal State Fullerton does. So, you know, the key for them, for the Titans, is going to be to pitch their way through it, and it, it's certainly a possibility. But, yeah, again, I mean, you can't sleep on Baylor there as the number two seed, and Obviously, the Cardinal is the number two overall seed in the tournament for a reason. It's because they've been really, really, really dominant this year. All right, so if we don't think the Stanford is going to get upset, who are 
some upsets that you like in this field, Mike? Well, the easy one to point to right now is Auburn as the number two seed in the Raleigh Regional. Sorry, NC State fans. You're probably going to turn on me after <laughs> this. I, I, I built up some goodwill with NC State fans by defending the decision for them to host. But, yeah, you know, I think Auburn it was a team that was also very much in the hosting discussion. They were the highest RPI team at number 13 to not earn a hosting bid. And, obviously, uh, a team in the SEC that has done some big things this year and has a lot of talent. It starts with Casey Mize. The guy on the cover of our most recent, recent, uh, recent, excuse me, Baseball America issue, and has a ton of talent. It's probably going to be the one-one pick in the upcoming draft. Certainly in the discussion for that. And they have Tanner Burns behind him, who is no slouch. He's got very good stuff in his own right. And having just seen NC State go 0-2 in the ACC tournament again, maybe this is an example of recency bias affecting me here, but. NC State is in trouble if its starters keep pitching the way that they have. Brian Brown won ACC Pitcher of the Year, but he's really struggled in the second half. His ERA at one point was well below one. Now it's in the mid-twos. And just watching him, I mean, he's a guy who he's not going to blow it by anyone. He's in the mid-80s. He really has to command it, and he hasn't been as crisp lately with his command. And otherwise, I mean, I, I don't know who else NC State trusts. They have Reed Johnston, a freshman that they've thrown out there. He struggled in the ACC tournament. David Harrison's another freshman they like. He didn't pitch all that well in the ACC tournament. Johnny Piedmont is a guy they, they've used in the weekend rotation. He didn't pitch at all this week. So I'm not sure who they're going to throw out there. Their lineup was very pitchable as well. A lot of swings and misses. Drew Parrish struck out 14 guys against NC State. They kept swinging over his curveball. So... And you look at Casey Mize and Tanner Burns, they have better stuff than True Parrish does. They're more electric. So I, I think Auburn matches up really, really well against the NC State team. And I wouldn't be surprised if they come out of that regional. So that's one upset that I'm looking at for sure. I think that's a, a very, very common, uh, what's going to be a very common one. Um, I think I it's really hard to win in Lubbock. Yeah. Texas Tech wins a lot of games in Lubbock. I'm not sure Texas Tech wins that regional, but we've already been that over that one. I think Georgia, of the top eight seeds, is the most vulnerable this weekend. Mm-hmm. I think Duke going in there, uh, that's a team that's an older group. They don't have that much more postseason experience. There are not many teams. Duke has more postseason experience than uh, they've been to one tournament in the last 50 years. That was two years ago. But they do have more postseason experience than Georgia. It's kind of wild. That's a good and point. <laughs> they have the most postseason experience in this regional. And I think that uh, the Blue Devils are going to be ready to go. Um, I, I think that they have the pitching to match up with Georgia. I, I like how old that team is. Georgia is a younger group. And Griffin Conine's starting to get going. Yeah. Um, you know, they have some other really nice bats in there. If Zach Cohn can get it going a little better than he has the last few weeks, um, you know, and, and we've talked about Duke, how much we like their bullpen on the podcast before. I think that's kind of a difference maker. I think there's some depth there. And I think Duke can go down to Athens and win a regional. Um, and they're going to come in with a chip on their shoulder, too, after not getting a hosting nod. And frankly, being as low of a two as they are. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about, you know, it, what's Wright State doing as being the four in the number two overall region. What is Duke doing, a team that was in the hosting mix right until the end, being a number two for a top eight seed? I don't get it. I especially don't get it because they easily could be in Conway or in Greenville. I mean, they're a 40 win team. They're a 40-win team. There are much more realistic geographic or much more much more convenient geographic uh, places they could have been sent that would have made more sense as a team that should have been closer to the hosting line than this seems to indicate that they were. And especially with the committee using the argument that they use with NC State. I mean, you look yes. at Duke, what Duke did during the regular season, finished second in the Coastal behind North Carolina, stumbled a little bit down the stretch, but still beat North Carolina head-to-head, still had some good series win, beat Florida State down in Tallahassee, which Florida State, of course, is a national seed, number seven. So, yeah, there are a lot of things that you can point to with that Duke team. They certainly, I think, deserved a better fate than they got, but I think you're right that they're a very dangerous number two seed in that tournament. You know, for me, uh, another team that jumps out, uh, obviously UConn jumps out as a team. We talked about them 
you know, as a potential host, they are going to be in Conway. They are going to be the number two seed. And that's going to be, talking about competitive regionals, that one's going to be really competitive. Washington there, another Huskies team, is the number three seed in that regional. And they just beat Stanford. They almost swept Stanford to end the season and steal the Pac-12 title away from them. But Stanford came back late in that game to stun them. But the Huskies, even though the RPI isn't there for them, they finished well in the Pac-12, finished third in the Pac-12. Is that is that correct? On that, that, I think. I think. Maybe second. In any event, it was very tight. Again, it another very, conference was, with a tie, which makes things confusing. It was tightly clustered. Stop ending conference games and ties. It doesn't. Anyway. It doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> matter anyway. They're in the tournament. They're number three seed. They're a dangerous group. They have some talent on that roster. Coastal Carolina obviously won this whole thing a couple of years ago when they were the number two seed in Raleigh when they uh, upset NC State in that regional. Now they get to host in their beautiful ballpark there in Conway, South Carolina. It's going to be competitive. I know I know you really like Coastal in that regional. Big believer in Coastal Carolina. But I, you know, I've been a big believer in UConn this season as well. So it's going to be a fun one. And then another one that stands out to me is Houston as a number three seed in the Chapel Hill regional. I think that might be, for me, for my money, I think Houston might be the best three seed in this field. I mean, they won the American Athletic Conference regular season title. We've talked about how deep and how good that conference has been this year. The RPI hasn't been there, but if you look at what they did down the stretch, they swept East Carolina at East Carolina, which I thought was hugely impressive, and really put it all together when their backs were against the wall, when they were just fighting to earn an at-large bid to surge to the top of the American Athletic Conference. And, you know, I think I think they could be dangerous there in that regional. I still think the Hills win it just based on how they finish the year. And also they're getting their ace back, John Luca Delatri, who they haven't had since February. And he looked really, really good in the ACC tournament. His stuff was as good as I've ever seen it. So I, I do think the Heels are – I don't think we're going to see another Davidson situation with the Heels this year. But Houston is is better than that Davidson team that we saw last year. They're, they're a very good team in their own right. So it's not going to be easy. Purdue as a number two seed is no slouch either. No, the Boilers closed really well down the stretch to finish second in the Big Ten and then uh, went to the Big Ten tournament championship game where they lost to Minnesota. Uh, you know, so that – it's that's an intriguing grouping uh, this weekend in Chapel Hill. Uh, Mike, let's dig a little deeper. Let's talk about four seeds. Ooh. What are the four seeds to watch out for? The one for me is UNCW, and this is going to be another fun regional uh, in Greenville. I think Greenville is wide, wide open. Yeah, I think it's wide open. And I also think it's going to be the rowdiest regional in the country. So let, let's let's <laughs> talk about this regional for a second, and then get back to UNCW. East Carolina, South Carolina, Ohio State, UNC Wilmington. East Carolina fans and South Carolina fans, that is going to be a fun time. I went back when I thought NC State wasn't hosting, so like up until 8:30 last night, <laughs> um, I thought that East Carolina and NC. State, I was hoping East Carolina and NC State would get together because that place would have been absolutely insane. We but got the next best thing. That is the next best thing, <laughs> South Carolina going there. That place is going to be lit. And let's not like sell UNC Wilmington fans short here. Uh, they're going to get in on this action too. And Ohio State, they got a lot of fans. They're, they're going to they, be some Buckeye fans mixed in here. Maybe yeah. not as many, but they're going to be some. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a really, really fun atmosphere for that one. It's, it's definitely going to feel like the postseason. There's no question I wouldn't want. I tweeted this. I wouldn't want to be the home plate umpire in that regional. Um, I've I've heard home plate umpires take a lot of abuse by ECU fans and by South Carolina fans. Listen, it's your reputation. Can't get upset about it. It's a thing you guys do. I love it. I love the passion. It's gonna be. It's gonna be loud. It's gonna be rowdy. It's gonna be fun. And I do think UNCW has a chance. They're gonna mash up with East Carolina, the one in four seeds. And you look at. You look at UNCW this year, they have a very good offense, a lot of power on that team, as does ECU. ECU is a very powerful team. Mason Burney is the team's leading hitter, 12 home runs, 335 average, 425 on base. Ryan Jeffers has had an outstanding year for them as well with 16 home runs. Those two lead the offense and pace the offense. And, you know, the, the Seahawks are one of those teams that sometimes I think get a little bit overlooked 
in North Carolina and the Carolinas in general, just because especially this year, the Carolinas are so deep. I mean, we, we see that in the number of hosts that the Carolinas got as a whole or, you know, that Virginia got based on the map that we saw in the, the selection <laughs> show early today. But that's that's I digress. In any event, UNCW, I, I think, is probably for me the most dangerous four seed on this board. I don't know. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that they win this regional, but it's going to be competitive. I, I feel comfortable saying that they're going to put up a good fight. I think for me, the four seed I'm looking at is Army. And so they are in the North Carolina State Regional, the Raleigh Regional. You know, Army is an interesting team. It, it's, a, it's a team that I think really understands how they need to play to win baseball games. Um, this season, they've hit a total of nine home runs. Um, so they're not going to beat you with power. But they, uh, they put together... I, it's not going to surprise anyone when I say that Army is a very disciplined team. That they, oh. they uh, oh. <laughs> going against the brand there. Yeah, yeah. They, um, I mean, but they they understand that they're going to play good fundamental baseball. They're going to play clean. They're going to make you beat them. And I think they have enough pitching on the mound to make things interesting. And I think if NC State isn't focused, isn't ready to go, I think they're going to be in trouble. And I think that, you know, if NC State is thinking at all about holding Brian Brown to match him up against Casey Mize, you know, what, whatever their, their second game sure would be. I'm not sure who they're going to hold to match up against Casey Mize at this point. That's, yeah. that's kind of the way NC State's starting rotation looks right now. But anyway, I mean, that, that's kind of my point is that yeah. <laughs> if you don't throw Brown, I don't know. Like, uh, I, I think this is a team that – I don't think this is a four seed. You can just say, well, we'll hold our best guy for – for Saturday, for for Northeastern or for Auburn, so I you know I, I think this Army team um, you know can can come in and, and make a surprise uh, here in against North Carolina State again. You know, like you, I'm not going to say that this is a four yeah. seed that's going to win. I, I'm not saying this is the new Davidson, um, but yeah. I do think that it's a team that that can come in and and pull an upset and, and not be zero and two. I mean, this isn't obviously this isn't the same, but two years ago, Navy was in the Raleigh Regional and played NC State really tough. That first game, NC State eventually came back to win 13 to eight, but Navy rallied late in that game. They scored eight runs in the in the final two innings to to make that a game. So NC State certainly can't come in there feeling too confident against or overconfident at the very least against against this army team because like you said i mean they've they've they're here for a reason and you know we've talked about new mexico state we talked about Wright state already i also want to highlight moorhead state at campbell uh moorhead state is a team that's really come on strong in the second half of the season they've gotten healthier they got nico hallsizer their their big slugger back and if that turns into a slugfest against clemson on friday night which it very well could um, this is kind of what happens at Doug Kingsmore Stadium sometimes. Um, you don't know how that's going to turn out. And if Moorhead State pulled an upset there, I wouldn't be stunned. And if it does happen, uh, that sets things up rather well for Vanderbilt and St. John's, which have a lot of pitching. Um, and, and they were both there last year. Which they is both were there last year. So we know Vanderbilt knows what it takes to win the Clemson Regional. You know, so I and it, you know I, I thought last year they had a tough four in Clemson as well in UNC Greensboro. So. Um, you know, this year, I, I think, again, Clemson has to watch out for Moorhead State. That's a team that, um, you know, has been playing well over the last several weeks and, you know, has the firepower offensively that if you don't contain it, um, they can really make things difficult for opposing pitchers. Mike, that, I think that takes us through the field pretty well. We'll have plenty more written over at BaseballAmerica.com throughout the week uh, previewing these. But let's take a second just to reflect on the final weekend of the regular season here. We had some interesting conference tournaments around the country. I want to mention Todd Peterson of LSU real quick because when I was in Hoover for the SEC tournament, this was one of the best things of the week. Was Todd Peterson, LSU's closer coming on, um, I guess it was on Wednesday, and he threw five innings out of the bullpen. Maybe this was Thursday. The days run together in Hoover. He threw five innings out of the bullpen. And it, LSU, it, to deep into extra innings, LSU had given up their, their DH at, at, like in the ninth inning. Um, 
so his spot in the batting order comes up. LSU has just pushed ahead. They, they've just taken a lead. They still have runners on base, though, and, and Peterson comes up, and South Carolina changes pitchers. And during the pitching change, Paul Maneri uh, goes up, like, and Todd Peterson are talking, and I guess it, Todd Peterson said that, like, why are they changing pitchers for me? You know, what are they nervous? And um, so it gets around to should Todd Peterson be swinging or not? And Paul initially was going to say, no, don't swing. Just stand there. Don't get hurt. Um, but then he, so he asks Todd Peterson, have you ever, what did you hit in high school or, or what was hitting like for you in high school? And, and Peterson said that he hit nukes. That, that was, that, that's his part, <laughs> that, that he hit nukes. And oh, so, awesome. so Paul Maneri says, okay, swing away. And so Todd Peterson goes up there, first college at bat. He hits a double off the left field wall, two run double. And uh, he gets he gets out to second base. He takes a huge turn around second base, and then he stands with his arms stretched out, just like taking in the the adoring cheer from from the, not only his dugout but all the LSU fans there. And uh, so that was phenomenal, just on its own. But then in the post game press conference, um, somebody asks Todd Peterson when was the last time he had hit, and Peterson like starts to answer, and then he says. Coach, I lied. I didn't hit in high school. <laughs> and Paul Palmineri is so surprised. And, and uh, so it comes out that the Todd Peterson, even in high school, hadn't been allowed to hit because his coach was afraid he'd get hurt. And um, I, it was it was just an incredible moment. And, and, and Paul ultimately uh, said that he was glad that Todd Peterson had lied to him because, uh, you know, obviously the, the the outcome had been pretty fantastic. So, that, I mean, that's just so impressive for, for a player who just – <laughs> to come up in that situation, even alone, just in a pitch hit situation, uh, let alone a guy that hadn't really taken a competitive at bat since like eighth grade to to deliver like that. It, it was a fantastic moment in Hoover. And you gotta you gotta be careful when it comes to Paul Maneri and, and doing something, lying to him or doing something <laughs> behind his back. I mean, we saw last year in Omaha, Kramer Robinson yes. dyed his long hair blonde and tried to hide it from Coach Maneri as long as he could. And then legitimately did hide it like he, where it was wearing a hoodie to make sure Paul couldn't see that his hair was blonde and then he broke it out during the game and afterward I mean Paul Maneri was pretty emphatic <laughs> he was he said hey you're gonna dye it back you're gonna change it back so you got to be careful Todd Peterson lucked out he's he's lucky he didn't <laughs> he didn't hurt himself or hurt anyone else with this with this bat but yeah no that that is a funny moment there's no question so that that to me is going to be one of the highlights of of this uh, this conference tournament weekend. But also on, on a slightly more serious note, uh, college baseball this year we, we had several big time coaching retirements. You know Jim Morris at Miami, Mike Gillespie, UC Irvine, Dick Cook at Davidson, Wayne Graham at Rice, all coached their final games this weekend. Um, those are guys that have been around the game, been a huge part of college baseball for, you know, 25, 30, 40 years uh, in some of these cases. And some guys with national titles in there and just a lot, a lot of wins. So congratulations to all of those coaches. Um, you know, none of them make the NCAA tournament disappointing for Wayne Graham to, to go out the way that Rice did. Uh, Rice's long streak of regionals, 23, 23, yeah, 23 yeah. straight regionals comes to an end. Jim Morris's, of course, had come to an end last year. Um, Miami not able to make it again, but uh, j just incredible careers for those four guys. Yeah, and even though their teams aren't in the tournament, you look at their coaching trees, you know, some of the, the co players who played for them or coached under them, they're leading teams into this tournament. I know I was chatting with Duke coach Chris Pollard the other day. He played under Dick Cook at Davidson and can't say enough about the impact that Coach Cook had on him and the kind of person he is and coach he is. And you see the kind of job he's done there at Duke. I know when I was talking with Mark Kingston earlier this season, he coached under Jim Morris on a, a college World Series team, I believe in 2001. Is the that, that is that correct. Team? Yeah, he coached on that 2001 national championship team. And he learned a lot for Morris and the way he goes about things. And you see South Carolina in the field. A, a or was it the run. 99 team? Sorry to interrupt. It's okay. It's <laughs> that, the, that point aside, Mark Kingston learned a lot from Jim Morris. And, and you see that with all of these coaches. They've all had 
a great influence on people in the game and have helped the game grow. And even though they're not directly in this field, they're a big reason why some of these other teams are and why there's more parity in the game now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, the just the way that all their teams fought to the end this week, I thought was impressive. Rice uh, just a really they're playing at two in the morning against FAU in a really tight, tightly contested conference semifinal game. I'm just impressed Wayne Graham was up at two in the morning. I it is. I mean, when um, when, when Mike Martin set the wins record this year, it was like 11 at night. And, and his postgame comment was that usually this time of night, I'm asleep. <laughs> and I can only imagine that Wayne Wayne Graham is thinking the same thing as as Rice is fighting for its postseason life. And um, it's going to be a different it, it's going to be a little different next year without these guys in it. Uh, just the careers of everyone. I think they combined for four, five national titles um, and, and thousands of wins. Uh, and, and Mike, like you mentioned, I mean, just so many lives affected just in terms of players and, and coaching trees and, and fans and, and all the rest of that. So congratulations to, uh, to, to those coaches for completing their careers and, and go, going into uh, well-earned retirements. So Mike, that'll do it. For us today on the podcast, as I mentioned before, plenty more to come in terms of previewing the NCAA tournament uh, as as the week continues. So make sure you check that out over at BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We'll probably have some more thoughts there. He's Maybe. at Mlanana. You usually have some thoughts there. Sometimes I have thoughts. I don't. I don't know. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I do. Sometimes you have puns. Sometimes I do. Yeah. Well, we'll see. And you're at Ted Cahill, right? I'm at Ted Cahill. That's I good don't to know. I should follow you. I. I think you might already. Do you follow me? I do. Uh, good. I don't have puns, though. So if you're looking for puns, go to Mike. Yeah. Um, but we'll have plenty of content uh, online in various forms. And there's, a, you know, as Mike mentioned, the draft is is coming up. So you can check out the BA 500, uh, top 500 draft prospects over online. All those reports, uh, there are 200 reports online now. And I think the other 300 are going up over the next couple of days. So uh, you can dive into draft prep there as uh, as that fast approaches as well. So for Mike, I'm Teddy Cahill. Thanks for listening on this Selection Monday slash Memorial Day. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.